we flow to where we're most gifted by design. Um, However, in scripture, there is a common call for every believer to have a measure of each area of giftedness. Well, I want to thank uh, people for joining us on this Organic Outreach podcast, and particularly as we're looking at talking to practitioners of local churches, of, of groups of churches, and of regions or nations. And our guest today, Bruce Bugby, is a, is a national leader, a large region of the United States, uh, mobilizing uh, churches and leaders, and he'll share some more about that. But uh, I want to share, as I introduce uh, Bruce, that, uh, Bruce, I want to thank you for influencing my life for the last 30 years uh, I've been using and influenced by your ministry, by the resources networking in particular. Uh, years ago, you felt this calling to uh, undertake a, a little challenge of mobilizing every man, woman, and child who loves Jesus to get involved in doing ministry, not just being consumers and observing, but doing ministry. What stirred you more than 30 years ago to tackle such a massive enterprise? Well, Kevin, I'm glad to be here and to be able to share with you um, it is amazing how little things in our lives uh, bite us and uh, move us in a direction when we often look back, we can see it's the hand of God, the gifts of God, you know, that have uh, made that happen. Um, for me, it was uh, just seeing how many people are sitting around not doing anything and then reading the Bible, taking the scripture, and it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. <clears throat> and I was surprised at how many people were unaware, <clears throat> and I didn't understand that. So I was teaching it, and even in youth ministry, kids who have the Holy Spirit have gifts, and getting them involved in the areas of ministry where they're gifted, and then starting to work with adult ministries, seeing that explode, and then putting that with your heart, your passion that moves us into areas and our personalities. And so we're more than a gift, we're a package. And so that excites me when you see people come alive and serve in those ways. Yeah. Well, I just want to give a personal acknowledgement and testimony and thank you that, that again, for more than three decades, not only has my life been shaped by your ministry, but the, the thousands of people I've ministered to directly and the tens of thousands that I've ministered to indirectly have been influenced by you. And I, I'm convinced that on the other side of uh, this journey of life, when you see Jesus face to face, you're going to see millions of people who've been impacted by your ministry and uh, as it's multiplied out there. And, and so, so we've known each other for a long time, but we have reconnected around this topic of evangelism, organic outreach, because you're in a unique position now where you've got another fun, easy calling, and that is uh, mobilizing churches in a large portion of the United States to be what the church is meant to be. Just describe what it is you, you're called to do specifically in the Reformed Church in America in your role of ministry. Well, in the Western United States, I oversee uh, six clusters of churches Um, And in those groups, uh, they're working with the churches. So I'm trying to make sure that they're looking at the strategic core values of the church, evangelism, discipleship, church planting, multiplication, leader development. And so the resources of the region uh, have connected with organic outreach to say we need more uh, expertise and leadership in this way. And so we've provided a venue by which we can bring that particular quality teaching uh, to our churches, which everybody says they need and want, but very few have a strategy uh, in order to do that effectively. Well, so Bruce, with your study of this, you know, and I've talked to many other leaders that uh, studies show about three to 5% of Christians have their primary calling and gifting in evangelism if you go to people's maybe top three gifts, you get maybe 10% of Christians that say, it comes pretty naturally for me. I can jump into this. I can do this. And I don't feel a lot of challenge with it. 
Uh, but we want 100% of Christians doing outreach. And so uh, it seems like moving those other 90% and even the 10% that believe in it and feel called to it, it's just why is outreach such a challenging thing to mobilize Christians? We're all called to be salt and light. Why is it challenging to get Christians to live this out? Well, I think because they flow to where they're more comfortable and gifted. And so they tend to have mercy and want to be about that. Or they uh, just have a, a passion to encourage people and come alongside this way or that way or study and teach. You know, they want to do that. So, so part of it is uh, we flow to where we're most gifted by design. Um, yeah. However, in Scripture, there is a common call for every believer to have a measure of each area of giftedness. For example, the scripture says, um, we're all to be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. But some have a gift of mercy. Uh, We all uh, need to be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. But some have a gift of evangelism. So while that may not be our gift, that doesn't absolve us from a life of tenderness, openness, responsiveness, to the spirit that's in us that is about all these things. Yeah. Well, yeah. so that, now we'll get a little personal here. So we, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, you've been honest about us saying, I've got certain giftings. Evangelism isn't my top one, two, or three. So over the last few years, you've been in this process of every 30 days to 60 days, depending on your schedule, having a challenge in your own personal outreach. Uh, how has this cultural, and this is what we're trying to create for churches, this cultural norm of being asked, how are you doing in your average? Bruce, how's it going in your personal life? How does that kind of keep it on your radar more than it would be if you didn't have this natural rhythm? Well, it's, first of all, just plain old embarrassing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, oftentimes I wouldn't have the stories that others in the group were sharing. Um, And uh, the focus of of my ministry is not an excuse for not doing it. So it was the accountability that really exposed my own shallowness to uh, organically and practically being able to interact with uh, unchurched people. Um, Probably my sense of busyness, I I don't have time, you know. And um, so it it made me uh, much more aware personally of what we're trying to deal with as leaders in trying to change the culture in terms of trying to say, how do we create a value and permeate, you know, the congregation uh, and our people that this is natural. Uh, This is a part of what it means to be uh, God's people. And as you say, salt and light, Um, nobody is absolved from, from that responsibility. So it's, it's challenged me to speak a little more, boldly and frequently to my family members, to my neighbors, and to bring up conversations and little starters to get things going. So it's been encouraging, but embarrassing. <laughs> and, I, and I've had lots of those conversations where I or others will kind of squirm and say, ah, I'm a leader, but I, and I know I can't lead, but I don't live, and I'm not living it the way I need to, so I'm going to take that next step. So let's, let's talk about the importance of making this cultural shift, because if it, if it becomes just, a, hey, we're going to do a program, a three-month emphasis on outreach, and then we move on to the next thing. Uh, that has a certain level of impact. It's not a bad thing, but if we can change the culture of a local church or of a region, uh, to be truly to its core evangelistic, uh, how is how is changing the culture a whole you know game changer compared to just putting on a pro a short term program? Well, the problem a lot of people will lean into network or lean into organic outreach and say, okay, there's there's a book, there's a guide, uh, there's a class. Uh, we'll go through the program, 
And programs have values, but they tend to be for specific people for a specific time toward a specific goal. Values, however, are for everybody for all time. And so values flow top down. Um, Programs can start bottom up. So in other words, it's really speed of the leader, speed of the team. So the difficulty in this is that leaders may embrace the value, but as you say, four months, six months, a year later, I've got to start beating another drum. And uh, they start beating that drum, and the perception is if it's not heard from the platform and the leadership in a consistent way, that it must not be that important. Mm -hmm. And so that's the difference in creating culture change of uh, outreach and gift-based ministry versus a program where people then think, been there, done it, but it doesn't change the culture. It impacts some individual lives. It doesn't change the environment uh, and the mentality of people that you really sense. This is what God wants, and, and we ought to be about what God wants, to live in love like Jesus. That's so helpful, and I know that, that you uh, are committed to culture change in the in the Western United States with the denomination that you're working with, and you've been relentless about that, even when it's an uphill battle. It's always an uphill battle to change culture, and and so I've appreciated your uh, your diligence in that, and it's interesting when uh, I started presenting some of the resources for Organic Irish, uh, the 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 culture change, the concepts behind it, Lon Allison, who's who's recently gone to be with Jesus, he was the head of the Billy Graham Center at the time. He came to me and he said, we don't have a model of a culture-changing movement for churches and denominations until we've seen what you're doing with organic outreach. And even now, uh, the Billy Graham Center uses organic outreach in their other foundational stuff to train leaders. And so you think, okay, now we've got a good model. We've got good tools. We've got a six-year curriculum that's online, I think, in two languages, soon to be, soon to be in five languages, and it's free. All right, so you have a six-year kind of pathway to walk, resources that are free, and it's still hard. Um, and, and, yeah. you, and, and you and I have talked and prayed about this, that we want to see the Reformed Church in America become this evangelistic movement in every local church, every believer, but it has to begin with the leaders. So, Bruce, why is it so hard for a local church leader to get a hold of this, to live it, and then week in and week out with a, a partner in their church, take the resources that are out there, and walk down this road. I mean, because because you've done all you can to help leaders, and some of your leaders are thriving. They already have second generation uh, training going on, but some have bumped into a brick wall. Why is it so hard at times? Well, I, I think it really comes down to many of them don't have a gift of evangelism, and they're trying to lean in and uh, um, create value in an area that isn't as uh, innately uh, gifted to them. So they're having to learn themselves along the way some of these uh, dimensions. Um, I, I think the mobility of people and pastors make it difficult. I know as we've walked together here, the pastors changed, or um, and so now how do we find someone else? But we're halfway down the road, and how do you bring someone new on in the middle of the process? Um, I, I, I think the lack of gifting uh, I think the lack of some language, and I think this is what I appreciate about you, Kevin, and bringing some new language to the conversation. So it's not evangelism. Oh, my gosh, you know, I've got to knock on doors and work airports. Uh, no, that's not what we're talking about. Um, but to just be more natural or, in your term, organic about uh, how you just share your story, how you just share what it is that God's doing in you and through you. And um, I think that's just intimidating. 
um, for, for many to take that lead position and actually lead uh, a, a process along with the change and the other challenges there. So, so let me dig deeper on that because I, I love what you're saying. I think it's really helpful. But here's one of the things I'm observing, and I want your thoughts on this. In a local church, churches are committed to do worship. And so they're going to have worship service. And if they struggle financially or if a church has a pastoral transition, they keep doing worship. They're going to keep having worship services. Churches are committed to discipleship. And so they're going to have kids' classes and Bible studies. And, and if there's a pastoral transition or a financial struggle or a difficult time, they're going to keep doing discipleship. But here's what we've seen in these, in these years working together. Uh, the same churches, when it comes to outreach, evangelism, sharing the gospel naturally, whatever you want to call it, uh, when there's a pastoral transition or a struggle of some sort, they say, well, we're going to put that on the back shelf for six months or a year or five years until we get everything running well. Why is, of, of the worship, discipleship, evangelism values, and people will often say evangelism is our greatest value, why is this seem to be the first one that gets put on the back shelf or back burner when challenging times come. You solve it for me, because I haven't figured it out. What, what's going on here? Sure. Well, uh, you know, one of the things in our, in our polity, you know, when you're an elder, um, you have the responsibility to oversee the people of God. And um, therefore, they listen to the people in the church. And what is it you want? Well, they don't particularly want evangelism. They've been evangelized. Yeah. They want discipleship. They want to worship. They want to go deeper. They want fellowship. Um, and so um, what we in our polity understand is that you're uh, uh, an overseer of God's people, but also the people of God who are not there yet. Yeah. So part of what we're trying to demonstrate is to say, yes, listen and care for the body who is there, but you have to create space, room, opportunity, and conversational connection points for people of God who are not there yet. And that is outreach. That is evangelism. And so part of it is the mindset that we, we've got to really go inside out. And that takes more time. And it's a greater challenge. Yeah. But it is lasting challenge. It is lasting change. Good, good. So now we're going to do a kind of fun little lightning round here. You ready? And so we're going to... <laughs> That's been pretty, pretty easy so far. <laughs> yeah. I want you to imagine, uh, and I am a local church pastor. You know that I pastor a church in Monterey, California. But I'm a local church pastor who believes in outreach, believes that Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that means both growing believers and reaching the lost. So I'm a local church pastor, and I'm talking to you. And, and I'm going to say a few things, and just give me kind of your quick response to me. as Because there's a lot of local church pastors listening who are saying, I want to do this. But, so here's my first one, just kind of a quick response. Uh, you know, Bruce, I believe in this. I'd love to do it. But honestly, I'm just too busy to do this whole evangelism thing. It takes too much time. So I just, I just, I'm too busy. I can't do it. Respond. Too busy, if you will, winning the world, but losing your soul. I, I think there's a sense in which you got to keep focus on the primary thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And work at that. It's too easy to cater to the voices who are there and not the voices who are not there. So, boy, that sparks up when you say it. I'm going to ask, throw another thing at you. So, so Bruce, I, uh, I believe in this. I, th I think I might have some gifting towards this, but every time I push towards outreach, there's people in my church that complain, Pastor, you're here to take care of us, not the people in the community. What do I say to them? 
Um, I would appeal to kind of what I said a minute ago about the fact that you're there as a pastor of all God's people. And we understand some people are God's people, but they don't know it yet. They haven't been evangelized. They need to be included. And it's a part of all of us to have an outward focus as to say, who are the people at the grocery store in the neighborhood and the Starbucks and these places we frequent um, that don't know Jesus? Uh, they are why we are here. Um, the church isn't for us. It's, it's, it's given to us so that we are equipped for others. Okay, let's have a little fun and go a little deeper. Here. So, so, Bruce, I got some families in my church that they keep telling me, we pay the bills around here. We're the ones that give the offering. You're supposed to take care of us. You, you got to knock it off with all these people that aren't part of our church. Focus on us. We pay the bills. And if you don't focus on us, we're taking our money and going somewhere else. What do you say to them? I just wonder how Jesus would respond to that kind of approach uh, when I think about his ministry to the marginalized, to the people who were not in the temple. Did he go to the temple? Yes. Uh, was that the bulk of his ministry? No. And he, he spoke to people who listened and followed. And they didn't put demands. They tried to. We see people trying to put demands on Jesus, but he stayed focused. And so he didn't, as a... As, as a um, bringing the kingdom of God, he didn't go to those who were well, but he went to those who were needy and sick. And so the physician goes to that. So if if we're so concerned about ourselves, I don't know, that just, there's a sadness in my heart to even hear you frame that question, because that's very telling. And before we can talk about outreach, we've got to address priorities. And a good thing is to do a study in Luke 11, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, why the importance on that which is lost? Yeah, because and, it's of high value. Bruce, I, and I love I love that pastoral response. And I want to just I want to just uh, agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, look at the scriptures, uh, look at our hearts, look at the heart of Jesus. Sometimes as a pastor, when people come with that attitude, we want to say, "Well, then take your money and go somewhere else." Uh, but but they need to be won over to the cause of Christ. They might have been won to Jesus, but their hearts still, they're still being sanctified. They're still growing. And I found that some of the people who are the most resistant, when they love Jesus, and they do believe the word. If you can walk them through this, they can become your greatest advocates and they can be on your team. And you're not, you know, I can, for everyone listening, I can see Bruce, he's nodding his head with an amen because we've both seen that happen, haven't we? Yeah, yeah it's, they're so convicted based on what they've been told and understood. Yeah. But if they're shepherd and taught to look at this in a different way or some other scriptures, they can be as vehemently passionate for the vision and the mission to reach lost people. Now, let me ask you another pastoral question. And you pastor a lot of pastors and you've, you know, you've, you've impacted so many people and you, you have a great pastor's heart. Suppose you're talking to a pastor and they say, Bruce, I got to be honest with you. I believe in this. Um, I... I know Jesus wants me as a leader to be living a different kind of life, reaching out, but it just scares me to death. I mean, I honestly, I, every time, if I think about sharing my faith, talking with the non, I mean, I can preach from the pulpit, but interpersonally, it just terrifies me. Is something wrong with me? What do I do, man? I feel stuck. What would you say to that pastor? I'd say find two people in your church that undeniably have a gift of evangelism. They just ooze it. Now, they may not be the most flamboyant, outgoing people, but they're just that person that is always having Jesus conversations with people in different places, different times, and get them around you 
and invite them to embrace this vision? Is this something you could see them being a part of? And then you fan their flames. Let them be a part of this leadership team. It isn't all on you, but it's on you to make sure it gets done. So I'm constantly saying to leaders, you don't have to do everything. First of all, you can't do everything. But it is your responsibility to see that everything gets done. So if that's not in you, then find people who it is in and work together so that as a leadership um, body, you're providing that training and teaching and value to the congregation, which you have a right and a responsibility to do. Great. So let me just, uh, two, two last thoughts here. And uh, one is, uh, so as we've walked together, you've, you've, you've brought some leaders to the table who have got the vision, run with it, and you've seen it impact their churches. So I'm going to grab one of those. Uh, one of your leaders is, uh, is Ken Corver. Ken leads an incredible multicultural church in the, in the greater LA basin area. And Ken is not uh, by nature an evangelist. He, he would, I don't think he'd be in that 10%. It's one of their top three giftings. But he has taken the challenge and he has gone after it. How, how does it inspire you? Uh, and what hope would it give to other pastors who maybe don't have the gifting and calling of an evangelist, but if they took it on, like Ken Corvert, Emmanuel Church, um, what impact can it have? And what are you seeing happening in a church like that where the pastor is living the value and leading into his church? Ken has just got a heart and a love for people. And um, he has a heart of an evangelist although that's not his primary gifting. And so he creates the environment and pulls leaders in that do, and he checks in on them. He makes sure they're doing what they need to do and that he's living it out in his own pastoral way, but having those Jesus conversations and to hear his stories of people he's talked to in the parking lot and how that's led to a whole process where now they're active members of the congregation because he had that outreach uh, inspiration and accountability uh, with those monthly meetings that we've uh, so appreciated with you and your team that uh, really helped us stay on focus and on track. Yeah, yeah. And then another one of your leaders, Jeff Luddington, is another multiplying leader, and he's actually multiplying congregations and leaders and people sharing their faith. Um, Just say a word about about, I just kind of want to finish with a sort of word of inspiration. What happens when people make that culture change and things start multiplying? Because that's what we want to see that happen everywhere, right? But just describe uh, as, as an observer and you, you one who studied the church and helped the church for so many years, what does it do when you see that vision, the culture change, and the multiplication begin to happen in a, in a church like uh, where, where Jeff Lettington pastors? Well, it, it just it's like gasoline on a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff has that in his heart when he had the accountability, the tools, the encouragement, the training. Uh, he's gone further with it. It's, it's impacted his life, his conversations, his leadership team. So now he's been trained and equipped, and he's one of your um, trainers uh, out and about working with other churches. So that's what you love to see is people you're pouring into, they say, I get it. I love this. And I want to help others get it and have the same impact. So to me, that's the multiplying effect and impact that you're ultimately trying to have because that's where culture gets changed, when it gets more exponential, not just one-on-one, but that one-on-one plus one and one plus one-on-one. It's that uh, kind of 
huge impact that you're you're striving to have. And that's what you and I were trying to do through the years is to say, who are those few people? I don't need everybody. I just need a few a key people. They will light the fire. They will uh, show the way. And so that's what uh, key leaders need to do in the church. You don't need everybody. Uh, you just need a few of the key people to walk with you and, um, you know, grow with you, live with you. And others will begin to say, hmm, I could do that. <laughs> and life begins to change. And Bruce, I love that inspiration that you're sharing right there because, uh, you know, we've been at this for years. You've been at the overall work of mobilizing the church for decades. And some people get it, it the, the flame catches and it's a wildfire. Praise God. Some of the places that we start doing things, they don't pan out that way. And that's okay. And, and I think just, I want to say to denominational and regional leaders like yourself that are listening right now to this podcast, um, you know, if you if you start with ten leaders and three or four of them take root and start going, you got three or four wildfires. You got good things going on. Don't get discouraged with the ones who don't. They transition to a new ministry, or they or something happens in their life, or they get too busy, or they just get a, whatever. Do all you can to help them, but then those that are are growing and thriving fuel that fire, and uh, and you'll see the kind of things happening that are happening through the Reformed Church around the Western United States and. Bruce, I want to thank you for uh, for your time. I want to thank you for your ministry. Uh, not just the last, you know, five, six, seven years we've been partnering in, in this particular part of God's work, but I want to thank you for a lifetime of faithfulness and for impacting my life and countless others. And uh, God bless you and keep doing what you're doing. And to all of our listeners, I hope this has encouraged you, inspired you. And uh, I'd love to give you Bruce's personal home phone number. Call him any time, but I can't. Uh, but God bless you all, and we'll look forward to hear, uh, seeing you at the next, co- next podcast. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate your time and ministry. And it's been a hoot uh, to have a brother like you doing very similar things in some different arenas uh, that are essential for church growth and health, evangelism and mobilization of God's people through the gifts, passions, and styles in which he's created and called us. And um, so we share the same challenge in different ways. And uh, I've just, again, so been encouraged by you and uh, your team and how that's uh, developed through the years. So bless you as a pastor and as a movement leader. Thank you. God bless you. I hope that this conversation has been encouraging and inspiring to you. Whether we're leading a ministry, church, a denomination, or a family, we need to be engaging every day and reaching out to the lost in ways that are natural. And my prayer is that this podcast provides you with new perspectives, inspirational stories, and creative ways to overcome the challenges we face in this ongoing spiritual battle to reach the lost. If you're engaged in organic outreach in your denomination, church, or home, and you have experiences, stories, or testimonies that you feel would be helpful to others, please send us an email at info at organicoutreach.org. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Walt Bennett reminding you to be on the lookout for divine appointments. And as the Apostle Peter encouraged us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have.